Good morning, everybody. Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 25. New heavens and a new earth. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. But dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Amen. Thanks uh, ever so much, uh, Lucy, for, for standing in at the last minute. And good morning, everyone. It's it's good to see you. Good morning to those who are watching on the stream. If you don't know me, my name's Andy. I'm the other minister here. And, and I, get to, I get to share with you uh, this morning on the, on the theme of salvation. And I wonder what images uh, or ideas come to your mind when you, when you think of that, that word. Uh, an elephant. Uh, that's, that's one of the images that comes to mind, and some of you are looking at me slightly confused, uh, wondering how I get from, from salvation to, to an elephant. Uh, so let me explain. There's, there's an old proverb uh, which tells the story of, of six blind men who can't comprehend what an elephant is. So they are taken one by one to meet an elephant, uh, the first puts its, his hand on the elephant's trunk and then recoils in shock. An elephant is a type of snake, he says. Uh, the second one puts his hand on one of the trunks and then jumps away. An elephant has the largest and sharpest teeth in the world, he says. And it must devour humans. Subsequent men are taken to the tail and to the side and to the leg and declare that an elephant is like a cow or a wall or a tree. Uh, and finally, the sixth blind man is, is taken to the side of the elephant and placing his hand on it, he gently works his way all over the creature 
And he says to his, his companions, only when you put all the parts together will you ever understand the whole. This creature is neither snake, nor man-eater, nor cow, nor indeed wall or tree. This creature is, is an elephant, and it's beautiful. And unlike anything else I have ever seen or known, now I know what an elephant is like. And salvation, in the sense, is, is a bit like that, not only because it's beautiful and because it's beyond our imagination, but also because it's so easy to get a little, little bit of the picture and assume you know what the whole is like. It's, it's true of lots of, actually, lots of biblical ideas. Uh, it's easy to, to get part of the picture and think that's what the whole thing looks like. And the Bible kind of doesn't help us here because the Bible, throughout the Bible, we get all sorts of snapshots of salvation and, and as I say, other things. Uh, glimpses of maybe the trunk or the tusk, if you, I'm st stretching the analogy too far here, but uh, often the Bible leaves us to put all of it together. And just think, think of Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. The kingdom of God is like this. Oh, that's what the kingdom of God is like. And you need to, you need to put them all together to get, to get the big picture. Do, do, do you see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Uh, uh, and it, it's, it, salvation's a bit like that in the Bible. All sorts of snapshots all over the place. And, and this morning, I want, to, I want to mainly pick on that one passage that, that we heard earlier. Uh, in Isaiah 65, which in a sense gives us one of the more comprehensive pictures of what salvation looks like. Uh, and maybe it's a passage you're not overly familiar with. Uh, and I wanted to, to go slightly off the beaten track, maybe, as it were, this morning. But also it's a passage that has been important for me in my Christian life, as I've tried to make sense of that life and, and what it means uh, so, so we're going to look mainly at, at Isaiah 65 this morning. Can we just go back to the previous slide? Uh, but I want to make one general point before, before we begin. Uh, and that is to say that God is a God of salvation. That is what God does. And I probably go as far to say that every activity of God is geared towards our salvation. So those big themes that we've been looking at so far through this series, judgment, justice, incarnation, all have their motivation in, all are pointed towards salvation. God's primary business is salvation. It's his mission statement, if you like to put it like this, it's his, his vocation to save people, to save the world. That's what God is all about. In love, saving us. In love, saving the world. And Isaiah 65, in a sense, and it's highly metaphorical language, it's lots of pictures, it's lots of images, gives us a picture to describe the coming of that salvation. Or if you prefer, the coming of God's kingdom. Because biblically, those two things are different sides of the same coin. The coming of God's kingdom, the coming of salvation, are talking about the same thing. Uh, 
And salvation in the Bible is always salvation from something and salvation to something. So we're saved from something and we're saved to something, as it were. And, and as Isaiah uh, looks around him, and you, you get this thread throughout, throughout the book. If, you, if you've never sat down and read the book of Isaiah all the way through, do it sometime. Wonderful stuff. Uh, somebody once called it the fifth gospel. Uh, and uh, Yeah, I think that works, but... It's quite a long chat, it's 65 verses, so you maybe don't do it in one sitting, but, but spend a week maybe just, just working your way through, through it. But as Isaiah looks at the world he lives in, the world all around him, he sees hardness, hardness of heart. He sees violence. He sees broken relationships. He sees selfishness and injustice and suffering, and and despair. He sees the rich and the powerful and those in leadership feathering their own nests and ignoring the plight of the poor and the vulnerable. He sees that faithfulness and personal integrity are no longer highly valued. He sees the lack of interest in God Even within the faith community, God has become for them a kind of mascot figure, a lucky charm, rather than someone who is to be served and worshipped. And Isaiah cries out to God. He cries out to God to save his people, to deliver his people from their enemies, We kind of got that with that thread from the psalm as well. But maybe especially to save them from themselves. It's true, isn't it? Often we're our own worst enemies. I know I am. Uh, Both as individuals, both as a society. So God save us. Save us from all that is destroying our lives. From all the hurt, all the pain, all the sadness. Save us from ourselves. And God hears Isaiah's cry. And God responds with this whole series of promises that appear throughout uh, the book of Isaiah. Scattered promises which announce that God will comfort his people in their distress. That God will come and deliver his people. That he will save his people that he will come to his people. And in a sense, those, all those promises kind of come together and, for me, reach their crescendo in these, these words from, from Isaiah 65. Well, again, lots and lots of different images come in, come in quick succession, but there's the beginning. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad, God says, and rejoice in what I will create. Be glad and rejoice. Because this salvation fashioned by God will be be so big, so thorough, so all-encompassing, That it's like the slate has been washed clean. 
wiped clean, and that everything has begun anew. Everything has begun again. It'll be like a new beginning. Be glad and rejoice, God says, because in this salvation, fashioned by God, there'll be no more the sound of weeping. Won't that be wonderful? No more homeless folks to groan. No more broken folk to cry. No more terrorized people to scream out. Be glad and rejoice. Because in this salvation fashioned by God, there'll be no more infant mortality. And no more people who die too young or live too feebly or continue as an empty shell when life is gone. No more cancer. No more heart disease. No more COVID. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Be glad and rejoice because in this salvation fashioned by God, those who plant will survive to harvest and enjoy their produce. Those who work will get a just reward for their labor. Can we have the next slide? I saw this powerful image uh, on a news report this week. It's a picture of someone uh, protesting working conditions at one of the Kellogg factories in the States. And he says, I feed your families, but I can't feed my own. I make food for your families to eat, but I can't live on what you pay me. Be glad and rejoice because this salvation fashioned by God will be political. And I use that word in its broadest sense. And not just spiritual. It will be about the way that society is organized. And there will be justice and the abundance will be shared amongst everyone. Rather than maybe just a few. Be glad and rejoice because in this salvation fashioned by God, there'll be no more giving birth into anguish. No more children growing up in anxiety and dread and fear. Individuals and families will live in well-being without jeopardy or grief. Be glad and rejoice because in this salvation fashioned by God, enemies will be reconciled. Relationships will be restored. Those in bondage will be set free. The hurt will be healed. The tears will be wiped away. And even the natural world will join in. Wolves and lambs. So we can move to the next slide. Lions and oxen will share food. And each will be satisfied. And no harm will be done. Be glad and rejoice because this salvation fashioned by God is far, far bigger than you and me and our eternal fate. It's ultimately about the transformation of all things. It's about you and me and us and the next slide and this young lady and her bosses and the whole system that so often pits us against each other. 
And in these days of climate change, it's about the whole caboodle. Never used that word before in a sermon. The whole caboodle. <laughs> and be glad and rejoice because in this salvation fashioned by God, God is at the center. And we are forgiven. And we are healed. And we are set free from all that enslaves us. And we are restored. And we shall see him. And we shall know him. And we shall be perfectly held within his love. Amen. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Be glad and rejoice because in this salvation fashioned by God, the whole earth will be filled with the shalom of God's rule and God's reign. I remember as a young Christian uh, adult, probably I was in my mid-twenties, discovering Isaiah 65 for the first time. It stopped me in my tracks. It was so... So beautifully awakened this, this sort of longing deep within my heart. The author Walter Brueggemann, I think Charlie quoted him a couple of three weeks ago, entitled one of his early books, Living Towards a Vision. And passages such as this one gave me, and I believe give us, a vision with which to live, a vision to live towards Salvation, if you like, not just as an experience for us, but as a vocation. Mind you, back then I was an idealistic young man. The problem I found is that too often the world knocks the idealism out of you, doesn't it? Too often the realities of life uh, dull that, that, that sense of those dreams, those dreams of what the world, the world could be like. I still love that. I still love that passage. I still love those, those promises. They still stop me in my tracks. Sometimes they feel too big. Like they come from another world, which I guess, of course, they do. And I have to live in this world with the ordinariness of my life, with the selfishness of my own heart, with the pain and brokenness that, that maybe at this time feels extra specially close. And maybe that's what faith is about. It's about trusting in the promise of salvation. Because God does not change and and neither do his purposes. I spent some time this week reflecting on on the ways people encounter Jesus. Jesus. Uh, I guess that's another bit of the salvation jigsaw. And remember that Jesus' name literally means God's rescue, God's salvation. Taken flesh among us, salvation, living amongst us. And I was, I was reminded of Zacchaeus. Remember, remember Zacchaeus, uh, who was freed from his addiction to wealth from his need to accumulate more and more and more, to walk all over people, to get what he wanted. Freed from a a life of dishonesty towards a life of justice and and charity. Uh, And this is what Jesus says at the end of the story. Today's salvation has come to this house. 
This is what salvation looks like in that man whose life has been transformed, turned upside down. Or do you remember the crazy guy in Mark 5? Legion was what he called himself. Tortured by by demons who held him captive, who who literally sucked the life out of him. He was was bound in chains, but even, even the chains couldn't hold him, and he was pushed out of society. He lived in the tombs, uh, Mark tells us, in, in the place of death. His was a kind of living death until he met Jesus. And Jesus set him free as he offers to set all of us free from the things that control us from the things that rob us of our identity and our dignity and and our peace. The story begins with this screaming, howling, angry man bound in chains, scars all over him. And it ends with this man sat at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. And Jesus says, this is what salvation looks like. This is what salvation looks like. This is another piece of the jigsaw. There's a line in the daily office, which I use during Advent, which which says this. Come to the next slide. Come to us with, with forgiveness and make whole that which is broken. That's what I see Jesus doing in the Gospels with just about everybody he met. He makes whole that which is broken. And that those promises of Isaiah are kind of that multiplied up, if you like, to a, a cosmic scale. God coming with forgiveness to make whole that which is broken. And as I reflect further on Jesus and on the stories he told, I'm reminded that he taught us that God's salvation, that the kingdom, appears among us in smallness. It arrives as mustard seeds and microscopic yeast, or as a vulnerable baby, sheltered in a stable, or as a broken people forgiven and made whole doesn't show up as a fully formed tree or in a flash of lightning but but as a bud slowly emerging and slowly growing and I guess for me and I guess for all of us I've, I've come to see the truth that we all live our lives in that tension between the big promises of God and the ordinariness of everyday life in which we meet and in which we encounter God. And perhaps it's the small ordinary things that build resilience and readiness and faith for the big promises to become real. Faith cannot grow if we do not attend to the ordinary practices of of listening to and reflecting on the story of our faith as as we're doing this morning, as it's told in Scripture and in our own experience.
Justice cannot roll like a river if our hearts have not been transformed through the simple practices of welcoming the other. I've been hearing how we've done that this morning during the week. Of generous caring for and standing with the weak and the vulnerable. The hurting and the rejected. rejected. Of carefully nurturing safe spaces where they and he, we might experience healing. Maybe that's one of the great things that as a church we can offer, that safe space, where the battered and the broken and the rejected and those who feel out of sorts with themselves and those who don't know where they're going and those who feel lost can find a space to be and to receive love and to receive healing and hope and forgiveness come to us with forgiveness and make whole that which is broken and peace cannot fill the earth if my relationships are not marked by a willingness to listen carefully to the other and to forgive those who hurt me maybe that's what Paul means when he talks in Philippians about continuing to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Brothers and sisters, life feels tough at the moment, doesn't it? Feels difficult. Uh, as infections and cases saw, we're not quite sure how to live. <clears throat> we're not sure what's safe. And we wonder when we'll ever be rid of this thing that stopped us in our tracks. But as we stand at the threshold of Christmas, For another year, Isaiah has some further words for us. For a child has been born to us. A son has been given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders. And he is named Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually. And there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth onwards and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So let us be glad Amidst our struggles and our uncertainties and our fears, let us be glad and let us rejoice in God's salvation. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. O God of salvation, we pray for the world in which good and evil seem to flourish together like tares amongst the wheat until the end of that age when your coming ushers in a new heaven and a new earth. Father God, we recognize the brokenness of our world, the brokenness of our own lives. We come to you out of the struggles of the present time. 
the fears that we carry within us, the uncertainties, the not knowing, the frustration, the hurt, the pain, the loss, uh, the longing for normal, the longing to be with people, the longing to see those we haven't seen, the longing to celebrate together. Father God, come to us with forgiveness and make whole that which is broken. And Lord, until that day when all is put right and suffering, death and tears will be no more. Until then, may your kingdom come through acts of loving service, through generous hospitality, through creative witness to the truth through faithful standing with the poor and the needy, through courageous acts of forgiveness and reconciliation, through, selfish hung- through selfless hunger for the good. O God of salvation, come to us with forgiveness and make whole that which is broken and may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.